Identity. Can you find it real quick? I thought I put it on that flash drive, the thumb drive. Do you see it? You don't see it? Well, let's just forget the video. We need to get, we need to get this thing finished up. I apologize for that. I thought I'd put the right de- uh, video in there. Well, I'm glad you're here. Over the last four weeks, we've been looking at, at messy grace, that this has been a series explaining how that uh, messy grace and how the grace of God, it just looks messy when it intersects with the messiness of our lives. And again, God's grace is never messy, but we can be incredibly messy sometimes. And the great thing about God is He is never, ever, ever worried about getting messy with us. He's totally invested in us, and He wants us to become just like him. And during this thing, we've, we've looked at four, we're looking at four key issues. In week one, we talked about grace. And grace reminds us that we need as the body of Christ to be known for more for who we are for than what we are against. And who we are for is people coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to love people and that love is, is found in the tension. Oh, I've got my rubber band still here. And the tension between grace on one side and truth on the other. In week two, we talked about truth. It leads us to the grace that we need. And, and the truth is that God calls us to be a church where people can, can, can belong even before they, they believe. And the truth often contradicts what our culture tells us. Week two, we, week three, we, last week we talked about love, that love has no exception clause, that it is unearned, and that it is demanding that Jesus equally loves people, and so should we. And now we come to identity. And so if you can remember only one thing from today's message, then this is what it needs to be. Our true identity as a person is found when we live out the purpose that God has designed for us. And as we close out this series, my desire has is is that this is the one that kind of brings it all together. My deepest hope is that you walk out of here this morning feeling different about yourself, seeing people differently, seeing them in a way, baby, you have never, ever seen them before, and to be encouraged to see yourself from a different perspective. How we walk out of here, the posture that we take in our lives will determine how well we apply the principles to our lives. Now, some of you have been sharing some, some amazing things that God has been doing in your life through this series, and, and particularly how you see people, people who don't look like us, people who don't act like us, people who don't talk like us. And to you who, who are following, who are not following Jesus, it's my strongest desire that, that maybe you come to see the real Jesus, not the Jesus that sometimes is seen by those who profess to follow Him. Jesus was always focused on the relationship with the Father and and helping other people to experience that that kind of relationship. As we just uh, heard so beautifully sang, that new song, I've never heard that before, but I love it, to take us a little deeper 
into that love with God. Now, I want you to follow along with this thought. God put a desire in you. And you can disagree with me on this. And it's okay. I'm used to that. I'm down with it. People disagree with me all the time, and I'm good with it. God put a desire in every single one of you to to have significance with your life, to, to, to leave your mark, to make a difference. And there are many of us who, who have that hope to varying degrees that, that somehow in spite of how things are right now or how things have been in the past, that somehow, some way, that our lives will leave a mark, a good one, that we will have made a difference, that at our funeral, somebody will stand up and say, the world has become a better place because of them. I believe that it was God who put this desire in you. It's not wrong to want to be significant. It's not wrong to want to be great or to be someone who does great things. I think that you should, but Society has taught us to find our identity and our value in the values of society, which are primarily, you know, money, power, politics, and whatever the culture tells us. But if you haven't learned it yet, you will. That whatever society tells us is where we find our identity, it ultimately fails. None of it describes who we really are. And as a result, I think we have a great identity crisis. You need to be great and significant, but at the right things. Does that make sense? That's what you and I need to do. To be great or significant, to live a life where we feel fulfilled and to live into a purpose that that, that reflects, that we believe is our, our real our true identity, not the identity that others may have placed on us. So today we're going to talk about and look at how do we find our identity by looking at one of the most probably unlikely biblical characters for this process. Now, if this person I'm going to talk about today lived today, you would say he's tripping on drugs. He's that guy that lives down by the river, old Chattanooga choo-choo faded out van. Something's wrong. Most today would think that he's about a, a stack load short of having a full load of bricks. Does that make, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? But in God's economy, he was called one of the greatest, or he was called the greatest who had ever been born up to that point. The world defines greatness by different values. But you and I need to look at how God defines greatness. I don't put it on the screen yet, but you can take your Bibles or open up your devices. If you don't have either, there's there's a few Bibles in front of you. Start turning now to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at part of the Christmas story that you ever rarely see. Now, I know it's not Christmas, even though when you go into the stores nowadays, everybody's got their Christmas decorations out. Am I right? But it's okay to look at Christmas. And we're going to look at the guy that's often ignored in the Christmas story. In fact, you will never, ever see a Christmas tree ornament of John the Baptist. And without him, the Christmas story would have never, ever happened. It starts with him. 
Now let's look with me at Luke chapter 1 and let's look at verses 5 through 10. Now when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now when Zechariah and Elizabeth were Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Let's stop uh, right there. Now, let's get the context because as, as uh, Bishop Swanson reminded us a couple of weeks ago when we were at New Room Conference up in Franklin, Tennessee, context is everything. Now, Zechariah has another job besides being a priest because, see, in the days of Jesus, there were probably some 18,000 priests. Now, there's no way you can fit all them priests in, in, inside the, the temple. So what they did, they divided them into divisions, into companies, into groups, okay? You get this picture? And then each division would be selected to serve in the temple for a week. And that would happen twice a year, okay? So, so then one of those, you know, it may, it may just be, you know, they may get to serve out front or, or maybe all they get to do is just be standing at the back when the people are leaving and get to shake their hands. But everybody has something. They may be sweeping up afterwards or whatever. Everybody, had, it happens twice a week. Now, one of the tasks of the priest was always to keep the incense burning at the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense was positioned in the temple just in front of the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant resided before Indiana Jones found it, okay? And there was always that curtain closed. Nobody could go into that room but the high priest and then only once a year. But that altar of incense and the table of the showbread was there. And so it said they, that by lot it fell on Zechariah. That, uh, uh, in other words, every priest that was on duty that week put their name in a, in a barrel and there was a lottery. Thousands of priests never, ever got that opportunity to go right there in front of that curtain for knowing right behind it was the Ark of the Covenant to, to, to do such a thing. And he gets drawn. I'm sure he was probably flattered to, to have been chosen. I would have. There were thousands of priests that never, but he's the one. So here's what he does. He puts on his priestly garments. And if you can imagine this, he's, he's probably going in before, this, the, before the Holy of Holies with mixed emotions, excited to have been selected, but then pulled by, down by that other thing, that other thing being that he and his wife Elizabeth are childless. Now, in the first century, if you were old and childless, you were considered cursed by God. Now, being old and childless, that doesn't mean God has cursed you in any way. But that's just a false belief they had back then. So here he comes. He walks right in front of the Holy Holies. And lo and behold, look at what he sees here. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. 
God has heard your prayer. Your, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, let me stop here. I don't think that angels look like those beautiful decorations since we're talking about Christmas trees. And I don't think angels look like those little chubby cherubs we put on a Christmas tree. Why do I say that? Because of what the angel said. Don't be, see, don't be afraid. I'm sorry, I keep pointing my screen back here. I know I need pointed y'all's. Don't be afraid. You look throughout the Old Testament. Every time an angel appears, almost always their first words are, don't be afraid. Now, if this was this beautiful thing in front of you, well, you wouldn't be afraid, would you? Well, let me tell you why he was afraid. Angels minister and serve in heaven before the very presence of God. They see God face to face. A face that God says if we saw it in our sinful condition, we would surely die, right? So, so no wonder, you know, he, he, he was frightened. Think about it. Now, now if I'd been there, you know, it says, you know, he, he you know, just kind of hit the deck. That's probably what I would have done. When the high priest, by the way, would go that once a year into the Holy of Holies, he would go in there with a rope tied around his ankle in case he died in there so they could pull his body out. I'm sure Zechariah was wishing, man, I'd like to have one of them ropes right now. And I'd be telling, pull me out, pull me out, get me out of here. So don't be afraid. I love what he says next. Your prayer has been heard. God has heard that prayer. Now think about how long they had been praying for God to bless them with a child. Now here's your little application. This is free of charge. You don't have to pay for this. Don't ever give up praying. Whatever it is that God has placed in your heart, never, ever give up. Because there's a reason why God puts those things, those desires in our hearts to be answered in God's time. Now, I'm sure Zechariah's time for having a son would have been probably, what, 25, 30 years ago? But at the perfect time, God says, Zech, I am going to answer your prayer. You're going to have a son. We're going to name him John. Now, let's look at verse 14. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. That's a good thing, isn't it? And joy and gladness always good. Now, verse 15. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord, but he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Now, a lot of people use this passage to say, see, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. That's not what this passage says. In fact, even before John is conceived, God wants him to take what we call the, the Nazarite vow. And the Nazarite vow was three things. Number one, they would shave their heads completely and then never, ever touch their hair again. Number two, they were never ever to drink uh, not only alcoholic drinks, they couldn't eat figs or grapes or a wide variety of things. They, in other words, a life of austerity. And the third thing is they were never to ever to touch anything that was dead, a dead animal or a dead person. If they did, they had to start all over. They would have to shave their head again and let it grow out. Now, a couple of, maybe you remember these two characters from the Old Testament, Samuel and then Samson, you know. And now John was going to come on and be another one of those. The point the angel is making here, John the Baptist is going to be different. He's not going to be like everybody else. And if you read the story, boy, is he different. He has this huge 
job. His job is to introduce Jesus. You know, have famous bands, you know, come for a concert, and you have, have the opening act. It's supposed to get the crowd all worked up. I still want, Shane, I still want y'all to do bad to the bone before I come up to preach. I would just love that, you know. That'd be the opening act, you know. He's the opening act for Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, put it up on the screen. Listen, it's the voice of one shouting, clear the way for the wilderness, in the wild, through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Now, you talk about living a life of making a difference and significance. Wouldn't you call that a life of significance? And then Jesus said about him in Luke 7, 28, I tell you of all of the people who have ever lived, none is greater than John. In other words, up until that point, when John was born, he was the greatest man ever born. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Living down by the river, camel hair, wild hair. Okay? You got the picture? The world would not call him successful. Yet, in God's economy, the angel said, he's going to be great. He's going to bless people. Now, look at verse 16. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. See, God already knew what John the Baptist was going to do even before he was born. And can I tell you something? You are not a mistake. If you have a child now, one coming on the way or plan on one, understand this. That child is not a mistake. God already knows what that child is going to do with his or her life. God knew what you would do even before you were born. That's what he told the, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you and had great plans for you. You see, God has us in our neighborhoods in our careers, in schools, friendships, in this exact place at this exact moment for certain reasons. Now, God has unique purposes for your life. And if you ask me, what's my purpose? My answer is, I have no idea. I just know mine. And, and this past week, you know, uh, Satan came against me and, and I Got on my phone. I knew I needed prayer. And so I texted some people. And God was very, the Holy Spirit was very specific in the people I, I texted. So as I would go, was going through my contact list, and God said, Not that one, this one, not that one. And it's nothing to do with any, if you didn't get the text, that's okay. It has nothing to do with my confidence in your prayer life. It was the Holy Spirit directed me to get these people to pray for me. And through that, through that prayer that, you, that many of you here offered for me, I've learned the things I need to know about myself, and I've learned even more about God. And I, I thank you for that. I've learned that when others slam doors and, sh and shut them in my, in, in my life, that God, if He wants them open, He's going to be able to reopen those doors. And I do know that you have to spend some time in prayer. Talking and, and asking God to reveal your unique purpose. Not only that, but your ultimate purpose in life. Because you see, 
You have, you have that overall purpose of life, but then you have that unique one that is found only in your true identity. Now, let me share with you two ways that you will not find your, 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 your uh, true identity and the only way you can find your true identity. First of all, your, your identity is not in, other, not in who others say you are. Any human point of view always has a limited field of vision. That's the way it is because we see things from the perspective of time and space. We're limited in what we can see. And what we see in this earthbound perspective is always, always, always influenced and polluted by the enemy. Now, hear what I'm about to say. The enemy who is terrified that you will find your true identity. He's scared to death that you will find your real identity. And so he's going to pollute. He's going to taint that. He's going to have others say things that try to get you out. Because understand this, others cannot give you your identity nor determine your purpose in life. Secondly, your identity is not in how you feel about yourself. Feelings can run the spectrum from mild to wild. Am I right? Sometimes during the same day, sometimes in the same hour. Am I right? Sometimes in the same five-minute span. And here's the thing. Feelings can fluctuate more than the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Feelings can change more often than the weekly weather forecast. We cannot navigate our way through this life based on our feelings. No matter how strong those feelings may be, I have gay friends. And that's what they keep telling me. I can't help, Randy, how I feel. And I keep encouraging them to go beyond feelings, to look much deeper in life. Because those feelings can never, ever give you your true identity. Here's how you find your true identity. Your identity is found in your true purpose. The first statement of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is this doctrinal statement written hundreds of years ago, goes like this. The chief end or the purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There it is to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. That's my ultimate purpose in life. That's your ultimate purpose in life. God specifically created us for something that, that ultimately is our job, and it is to enjoy Him and to glorify Him through it. We best glorify God when we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so passionate and intentional about what happens in this room. That's why Shelly back there is so intentional about what happens in our missions. That's why Margie is so intentional about what happens in our children's department. That's why Linda is so intentional about what happens in our kids' department. That's why Janet Wicks is so intentional about what happens in our community events. We best glorify God when we show 
others the good news of Jesus Christ. To realize that we are paving the way like John did for people to get to know Jesus. And we have to be very, very, very good at doing this so that we can tell them about Jesus, share the good news, invite them to church. Here's what we need to understand. Who we are depends on whose we are. You might want to write that down. Who we are depends on whose we are. And who we're supposed to be is God's. Our true identity as a person is found as we live out that purpose that God has designed for us. When you're able to, to combine that, that unique purpose that is uniquely yours with your ultimate purpose of enjoying God and, and glorifying Him, man, that's dynamite. That's C4, whatever the, you know, that's, 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 the, that's the, the bunker buster bomb that, that our, our military has. It reaches down deep and changes everything. And here's the other thing we need to learn from this passage and how we need to pave the way, and it's this. Now, John the Baptist could have been a priest. His mother was of the tribe of Aaron, which was the, 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 the tribe that was supposed to be priest. His father was a priest. He could have been a priest, but he chose not to. He could have had a gold staff, but he chose a wood staff. He could have decided to live in a nice house, but he chose to live under the scorching sun. He could have had the most nicest clothes, but he chose camel hair and rags. He could have preached from a beautiful temple or a synagogue, but he chose to preach out in the desert. He could have eaten the finest foods, but he chose locusts and wild honey. He could have had the finest wines, but he chose to drink water. He could have been popular. But he chose to be unpopular in the religious world so that he could be popular for God. See, John knew who he was lied in whose he was. He based his life off of that principle and he lived into it. Listen to me here. Who you are matters to God. Your identity matters to God. And how you view your identity matters to God. This whole series is about how you and I need to, to live in that grace that sometimes looks messy. You see, it's God's grace that defines our life. And so we live out and it looks messy by showing people grace, holding ourselves accountable to the truth, loving people without exception, and understanding that we belong to God and that alone gives us our identity. If you base your identity on a what, hear me out. If you base your identity on a what, you will never discover who you really are. Your true identity is found in whose you are. But if you base it on the wrong who, you will never live in 
to your true identity. It takes the right who? Jesus. Living in a relationship with Him and living out that relationship through Him. We need to seek our identity from God. As a matter of fact, understanding who we are is from God. And when we acknowledge that, it is offering God His gift back. It's offering God the gift that He wants to see in us. That's why it was a big reason of why John the Baptist was so great. He was willing to be insignificant so that God could be most significant because his identity was found in God alone. His job was simple, pave the way for people's hearts to see Jesus. That was his job. That's our job. And if his job was to prepare for the first coming of Jesus was important. And it was. When you say it was, nod your head like you're listening to me, whether you are or not. You thought I was going to get through a whole sermon and never say that. If that job was important, and it was, how much more important is our job to show people Jesus before his second coming? If we're following Jesus, doesn't our life have the deepest significance when we show others what it means to follow Jesus, to get them ready for the second coming? I believe that you have a unique purpose and an ultimate. I believe that God has a very specific purpose for your life. Before you were born, God knew who you were. He put certain things in you, certain talents, certain abilities, a calling. Your life is not a mistake. It's filled with worth. If you're a parent, God made you a parent for your kids because he knew that no one could parent those kids like you. Or if you're a grandparent, or if you're married and have a spouse, your job. Your neighbor, God knew exactly who was going to be living next door to you, two doors down, three doors down, the next block over. God knew who would check you out at Walmart. And he created you for the purpose to enjoy him and glorify him by showing those people what the good news of Jesus Christ really looks like. Every role in your life is important. You are significant to God. No matter what others have said about you, no matter how you may feel about yourself, and as our praise team comes up, you're significant to God. So live in that tension. Life is messy. Am I right? Isn't there a lot of tension sometimes in life? People are messy. We are messy. God has grace. God gives grace. 
And that grace defines us by who He is. How does all that fit together? Well, you know, I'm still on my journey because I'm still a messy person. And so are you. But I have been given grace. And you have been given grace. So let's live it out today. As we get ready to sing, I want you to think about what is your next step. Slide, please.